0: Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. we will be in Nehemiah chapter 20, verse 27, chapter 12. There's not 27 chapters in Nehemiah. What Bible am I reading? When I was a teen, I remember going to a camp, and uh, I remember at the close of one talk, whether just feeling guilty or under the conviction of the Spirit, I'm not exactly sure, but... Uh maybe emotionally stirred, I went up to the preacher and said I wanted to rededicate my life to the Lord. And that was something that was regularly done in those days. You know, you would give an altar call and if few or no one responded, you would give the offer to rededicate your life to the Lord. I don't know if you also were exposed to that, but maybe it was a metric to gauge a response. Not exactly sure, but uh I don't know if any of you went down that on that carousel of rededication, of feeling far from God, rededicating, but you found that rededication really didn't have any power in itself to change you or to keep you following the Lord. And so the speaker, he was very uh, blunt, and he said, you know, if you feel the need to rededicate your life to the Lord, it may be that you've never been dedicated to him at all. And you better square up your theology. You'll find that rededication is not in the Bible. And I was like, oh, okay. So it was a bit uh, stern, this uh, rebuke. But uh, I did look it up, and it's true. The term rededication is not in the Bible. But to dedicate is to sanctify, to set apart for a particular purpose, to consecrate. And uh, there are examples of people who return to God because they wanted to renew their commitment to him. We see that Samuel, he chose to renew the covenant before the Lord. He said, let's renew the kingdom. And there's a place for us to renew our commitment to God um, because repentance and all those R-E words, repentance, reconciliation, these things are to mark our lives continually. So in, in a sense, he was right that we are dedicated to God because God has dedicated us to himself. He has dedicated us. And there's no power in me dedicating myself, but I have to choose to be dedicated to him. To dedicate myself to him is a bit different, isn't it? Because if we'll be honest, there's a place for us when we realize we're a mess and we've made a mess of things to come before the Lord in repentance and brokenness. And that's something that I was missing at that time. I trusted my resolve to follow Jesus rather than just being broken for my sin without excuses. And that's the place where God wants to bring us, where we're not making excuses, we're not justifying ourselves, but we're broken by our sin. We rely upon the Lord, and we decide we desire to renew our commitment and say, Lord, I want to follow you like I've never followed you before. I don't want to just do what I've done. I don't want to just go around this carousel of failure repeat. I want to repent and for my life to reflect those choices according to your word. So I don't use the term rededicate because a Christian's always dedicated to God by nature of being a child of God. We are dedicated, so we should be living as an obedient child. We are already his. And today we're going to talk about the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, how the wall was dedicated unto the Lord. And God did this amazing thing that in 52 days they built a wall of rubble that had been there for a hundred plus years, unbuilt, but God helped them with people trying to attack them and stop them at every turn. God helped them to do an impossible thing, something that had proved impossible, God did. And so when we look at our lives, it's good for us to, like Nehemiah, he was broken when he heard of the desperate situation that happened in Jerusalem, how the walls lay in rubble How the name of God was reproached because of the condition of the city. If we can look at our lives or a situation with that heart and say, Lord, this is, this breaks my heart because I know this isn't what your plan is. And I want to follow you. I want, I want to repent and I want to do, come to you like at the beginning. I want to admit that I've built on sand. I have not built on the foundation and the word of God with my choices. And I want to start building right from now on. So let's pray. Thank you, God, that you give us the opportunity for renewal, that you give us the chance to repent. You give us new chances every day, every moment. And and I pray, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts now, that where there's brokenness, your healing touch would come. Where there's a ruin, Lord, you would bring revival. Lord, we desire that you would be our Lord, our Father, our King, that we We know that you are that when we're born again, but we want to live in the way that proclaims that. So we thank you, God, that you're patient with us, you're gracious and merciful, and that you're powerful to fight our enemies and to allow us to walk in victory. So we ask, Lord, that you would speak to each heart today, and you'd minister in our midst in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first 26 verses of this chapter, chapter 12, it has genealogies of priests and Levites in the days of Zerubbabel, Jehoiakim, and Darius the Persian. And it's good to focus on the historical authenticity of the Bible, um, but for the sake of uh, the passage that I want to focus on, we're going to start in verse 27. So Nehemiah 12, starting in verse 27, it says, Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. To this point, the people have finished building the walls. They've heard the law. They said, hey, Nehemiah, Ezra, read us the law. So the law was read. The people repented and mourned over their sin. They wrote a covenant before the Lord. So the heads of the houses, they signed their name. They said, we're going to amend our ways. And we're going to change in these areas where we realize we haven't been walking according to the law. And they decided that 10% of the people would dwell in Jerusalem. So once all that was all figured out and settled, there was this joyful day of dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. Notice it's not the walls of Jerusalem. It's the wall because it's not several. It's one continuous single wall that, circum, uh, that was the circumference around the city. And the Levites were summoned to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and singing. They have cymbals and string instruments um, and harps. It's quite an interesting mix. Um, we we don't have any cymbal players on our worship team, but hey, it, and maybe if we were outside, it'd be a little different. Um, but this dedication—it was a really big deal. It was really—it was a very joyful thing. If you want to see something interesting, when. Uh, Orthodox Jews have a new Torah that's been written. They have a big celebration with its dedication. And so they parade this Torah around and they dance and they're playing music and they're singing and they're clapping. It's it's just super exciting. If you, there's plenty of videos online if you want to see one. But that's an example of a dedication, something that's being set apart and sanctified for God's use. And I was surprised to find the word translated dedication in this passage is Hanukkah. Which means, yes, it's the same word that's used in the Festival of Lights, the 25th day of Kislev. So the background of Hanukkah, what many people celebrate today, it's around 168 BC. The temple was desecrated by the Seleucid king of Syria, Antiochus Epiphanes. And the temple was later cleansed and dedicated around 164. So once they had cleansed the temple and dedicated it, they only had enough oil for one day. And tradition says that it lasted for eight days. And so around that time, November, December every year, they light the lamps in remembrance of that time. So it means dedicate. That's what Hanukkah means. So people will dedicate uh, the temple, synagogue, the Torah, And it was joyful because it's in Jerusalem. That's the city, Jesus said, of the great king. It's his city. It's a very unique place in the world. David wrote in Psalm 48, 1 through 3, "'Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised "'in the city of our God, in his holy mountain, "'beautiful in elevation. "'The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion "'on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. "'God is in her palaces.'" He is known as her refuge. So for these people, they realized Jerusalem is the place where God has placed his name. This is where he dwells. Now, in the, under the new covenant, of course, we know the Holy Spirit dwells everywhere, but it doesn't detract from the fact that Jerusalem is a special place. God has placed his name there. That's the place where Jesus will set up his throne. It is the city of the great king. And so they rejoiced to dedicate this wall to God, realizing he had built it and they were part of that. Verse 30, then the priests and Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates and the wall. So I brought the leaders of Judah upon the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall toward the refuse gate. The priests, the Levites, they purified themselves under the requirements of the law. The priests were anointed and cleansed and then they purified the Levites. Now this purification is talked about in Numbers chapter 8 and they needed to be sprinkled with the water of purification or the water of separation. And it was made by mixing the ashes of a rare red heifer with clean water and that would be sprinkled upon the people and upon the wall or whatever you were purifying and the the scripture says that it's important that no yoke has been laid on this red heifer and uh you could re- and sacrificed outside the city its ashes would be contained and then they'd be saved and used to uh create this water of purification so if you touched the dead body you had to be sprinkled with this water you couldn't be purified any other way so there was a sacrifice of an animal but also this water purification very important Tradition says that the heifer must be of three years old and it cannot have two hairs of a different color. So extremely, extremely rare. The Temple Institute is all about finding a red heifer or getting one because it's just really super rare. So to be purified, they were required, the Levites, they had to trim or to shave their bodies of hair. Then they'd have to wash their clothes. They'd be sprinkled with this water. The people of the congregation would lay their hands on them. Offerings would be made and burnt offering to atone for their sin. It's interesting that the priests and Levites were living sacrifices unto God in their service. It says in Numbers 8.15, it says, After that the Levites shall go into service, the tabernacle, meeting. So you shall cleanse and offer them like a wave offering. So a wave offering was the priest's portion That was what they were to eat. So, And the, the things people would bring in, tithes and offerings, a portion would be set aside for the priests and Levites, and the wave offering was one of those. And so it's like the people's portion when you talk about the Levite being like a wave offering. It was for use by the priests. It was for use by the people. They were to serve God and the people in the sanctuary. And so verse 30 says, The people, the gates... And the, the walls were purified. So they went to the gates and they sprinkled them with this water. And they went to the wall and they sprinkled it with this water. And this is a good lesson for us that you see how the priests and the Levites were purified first before they dedicated these walls. If we want to be have our lives dedicated to him, we too must be purified. And it's not through the sprinkling of water, but through faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. So we're washed, we are cleansed we are sanctified unto him. It's not just cleaning up your life, like stopping all those habits or sinful ways. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It doesn't matter what you eat as far as defiling. It's what comes out of a person. Your greed, your selfishness, that hate that's inside, that has to be cleansed first. The Pharisees, they had a clean exterior. They wore clean clothes. They appeared to be righteous to men but Jesus said inside you're full of dead things. You're rotten inside. Clean the inside first, then the outside can be cleaned. If we want fellowship with God and to be fruitful in service, we have to be cleansed. We have to be born again and set aside for his use. So if you want to turn to a couple of verses, Psalm 24, verse 3, it talks about who can ascend to the hill of the Lord. Not just anyone can have fellowship with God. Anyone can, but we must meet God's condition. Psalm 24, verse 3. It says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Not one of us is clean because of our efforts, but through repentance, through faith in Jesus, we're made righteous. And if you turn now to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14, we see that we've been cleansed by a new and living way through Jesus, not just the sprinkling of the water made from the ashes of the red heifer, but something much more valuable, the blood of our Savior through faith. So Hebrews 9, verse 13, it says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So we're called to serve the living God and it's through Christ we're able to do so. No matter what we've done, we can be pardoned. We can be cleansed through the gospel. And I guess the question is, you've been born again. You've been dedicated to God. You've been dedicated to God by God. Do you want to be dedicated to God? It's like you can have, let's say, a son who wants to just go his own way and do his own thing. He really doesn't want you to be his his dad or mom anymore. He's living in a way that's like, I I really want my own way. And we can be like wayward children, where we are dedicated and sanctified unto God, and yet we can say, well, I want to go my own way. And it's good for us to, I guess, realize if we're being that rebellious person, Or if we're like, you know, Lord, I do actually want to be dedicated to you. That's what I want. I want to be used by you. And we need to answer that question. Do you want to be dedicated to God? It will come at a cost, but to refuse to submit to him is is a far greater cost. (laughs) So verse 31, it says, Nehemiah brought the leaders of Israel up on the wall. And I have a few pictures to share of the current wall. This is not the wall that was uh, there in that day. This is the rampart walk. If you go to Israel today, you can go on the rampart walk, which is, it's not, when it says on top of the wall, it's not like a fence or a retaining wall. It's quite large. It's very tall. You can walk around on it. So this is one of the paths, and you can see um, this was probably dates back to the Crusader, and you've got these where you could shoot arrows and look down, see what's going on down below. Next one, there's a better view of the thickness of the wall and the height of the wall. And the next one, this is the Jaffa Gate, which is where the hotel was where I stayed last time I was in Israel. So quite large, they would sprinkle the wall and the gates with the water purification. Thanks for that. Now the irony is, remember what Tobiah had said about their wall? He said, you know, that wall, it's so weak that even if a fox went up on it, it would fall apart. And now they're on this wall, and they're praising God, these two thanksgiving choirs. And instead of holding weapons in their hands, they're holding trumpets and harps and cymbals, praising God. It's just so cool that God did this huge reversal where their enemy just mocked them and said, you know, you guys, these feeble Jews, what are they doing? Trying to build something? It's not going to last. And here they are walking on top of it, praising God and thanking him for all he enabled them to do. And so there are these large, it says, thanksgiving choirs, now if you were to look up a choir today, uh, now choirs can be in churches, but largely choirs are a social group or uh, they're for a club or s- they're for entertainment purposes typically. And there's soloists who will distinguish themselves for having you know, beautiful voices and um, skill in singing. A-, a large focus is rehearsal and entertainment. But I like that it's called Thanksgiving choirs. It's not to entertain the people. The purpose of these choirs is to thank God. That's their whole reason for existence, to give thanks unto God. And while the inclusion of music in our our service is really important, and it serves many purposes, I think thanking God and praising him needs to be the top, the primary reason why we sing songs in church, why we sing to the Lord, to be thanking him to be acknowledging the things he's done. Not to inspire or to entertain, but that because we are inspired by our awesome God, we will lift our voices in praise to him. So I have one more picture to show as I read this next passage because it begins to talk about their course. So there's these two Thanksgiving choirs, and they start and they go all the way around the wall, and then they meet at the temple. So I don't know if you can read that very well. Um, I don't know if you could zoom into just the... Because I've shown this graphic once before, but this outer wall is the wall that is today, and this is the wall that they built in Nehemiah's day, so the darker one. So if you can... uh, I just want them to be able to read the words if possible. Ronnie, if you could just pan back a little bit. Yeah, or just lift it up a little. Just go out. See, this is when I need like a mouse of my own. Okay, I think we'll just have to call it good. All right, you guys will just have to put on your binoculars. Nehemiah 12, 32. Thanks, guys. It says, after them went, went Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Machiaiah, the son of Zachur, the son of Asaph, and his brethren, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gatgilalai, Ma'ai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. Ezra the scribe went before them, By the fountain gate in front of them, they went up the stairs of the city of David, on the stairway of the wall, beyond the house of David, as far as the water gate eastward. The other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way, and I was behind them with half of the people on the wall, going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped by the gate of the prison. So they went along the wall, singing praises of thanksgiving to God. And it says trumpets were used. They also used the instruments of David. David was skilled in playing the harp. In 2 Samuel 6, 5, it describes other instruments. Instruments of firwood, strings, instruments, tambourines, sistrums. That's like a rattle. It's an instrument. It's kind of like a rattle for better explanation and symbols so here they are all these leaders these two choirs singing under the lord carrying instruments and it's wonderful to know that when our labor for god is slandered when we're attacked for our faith and obedience to god like the jews were when they built that wall one common reaction we can have is to be a bit defensive. Now, Nehemiah, he just, instead of trying to explain to people who doubted why he was doing what he was doing, he, he didn't bother. He just took his, his complaints before the Lord. He poured out his heart. Um, when we feel attacked, often we feel the need to justify ourselves or to show why we're right and others are wrong. And You'll agree with me. It's one thing to try to vindicate yourself. It's another thing when God vindicates you. And this was God vindicating his people. And he was showing that, hey, I am the strong one. I'm the one who did this. And so they thanked him. Thanks for the picture. There's a great example using the singers in uh, 2 Chronicles 20. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and other forces they gathered to attack um, Jerusalem. And the king, he fasted. The people prayed unto the Lord, and it says that the word of the Lord came from Jehaziel, a Levite and prophet. The people realized we cannot beat these guys. They are stronger than us. There's more of them. We we have no chance against them. So they prayed, and they told God, hey, we don't have a chance. We need you. And this is what the word of the Lord came to them in 2 Chronicles 20, 17. He said, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. So it's like God's with you. Don't be afraid. You position yourself. You see God save you. He's going to do it. You won't have to fight in this battle. And so the next morning, King Jehoshaphat, he encourages all the people. He says, hey, believe what God said. The word came through the prophet. Let's trust him. And it says in 2 Chronicles 20, 21, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they had begun to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Isn't that cool? So he puts the singers out in front. He says, let's lead." So the army was ready to go. They were wearing their, they had their weapons. They were ready for for a fight. But they were um, obedient to what God said. And because they trusted God, they put the singers out in front. And the singers were happy to sing. And as they sang, it said, the Lord set up ambushes. I like that the the children of Israel, they were holding their weapons, but they weren't fighters who were building a wall. They were workers who were willing to fight. And there's a big difference. We can get into that trap of feeling like everyone's against us and we've got to defend ourselves and, and fight for God. No, God can fight for himself. We are called to be ready to give an answer to stand. Having done all to stand. Having the armor of God on. But position yourself. Be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. Don't trust your own ability to fight. Rely upon Him and praise Him. Because He's the one who will tread down His enemies. So in your present conflict, knowing that God fights for you is not an invitation to be passive. It's to be active in praising God. In praising Him. In thanking him for who he is and all he's done, how faithful he is. And so I ask you are you able to praise God in this trying time that you're facing? Have you made a point of thanking God for what he has done? Paul and Silas, right? They're singing praises to God in the dungeon. And what was the result? It says that the doors swung open, their bonds were loosed. And we see this Philippian jailer come in and he's freed from the bondage of sin. He's born again and his whole house comes to Christ. That is that is God doing something awesome. And I think we'd all love to have that testimony. That because we are praising God, it's not because it depends on us. But as we praise the Lord, chains will be broken. Bondage will be destroyed and people will be set free. And as they're in stocks and bonds, as they have been uh, beaten for their faith, were they really chained? They were free to sing. They were free to praise, regardless of their circumstance. If we cannot praise and thank God in the midst of difficulties... Perhaps we don't really trust or believe him. And I'm not saying that your salvation is to be called into question. But it's it shows us that we're not trusting God how we should as his children if we cannot bring ourselves to thank him in the midst of difficulty. So, verse 40 of Nehemiah 12. So the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God, likewise I and half the rulers with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Masaea, Minjamin, Micaiah, Elioni, that one's a hard one for me, Zechariah, Hananiah, with trumpets, and Maaseiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehonanan, Malkijah, Elam, Ezer. The singers sang loudly with Jezrehiah, the director. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so the sound of Jerusalem was heard afar off. The Thanksgiving choirs, they've walked around the wall, they've praised him, and they joined together in the court of the temple. And they were led by... Jezrahiah the director, and it says they sang loudly. He's singing, they're singing, they're belting it out, united in the worship of God. Now let's let's face it. Not all of us are amazing singers. And and I'll say this: not all of us think that we are amazing singers. Right? It's you probably have never heard anyone say, you know, you should really uh well, maybe people have been rude and said, you know, don't quit your day job when you're singing. Um That has happened to me before. Uh, Singing at work, I think they're just saying shut up in a nice way. But we can be self-conscious of our perceived lack of musical talent or skill. We can see that there's people more skilled than us, and so we might be a bit reserved. But let me encourage you, don't let self-consciousness keep you from singing loudly and joyfully to God. Psalm 98.4, it says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. We're being commanded to sing here. Sing to the Lord. Shout to him. Lift up your voice. Singing can be an act of faith and obedience to God. A sacrifice of praise. Like, I'm going to trust God, not because I'm a great singer and I deserve to be heard, but because He has told me to sing, I am going to obey Him. And I may not be the best singer, but I'm willing to do so, and loudly, to be heard. And uh, I'll get to the next part. But uh, even if you don't believe you sing well, to be heard by God, to sing praises unto Him, It delights him. And I believe all praise to God is beautiful because he is worthy of worship. You would agree that the song of uh, a songbird or a chicken or a parrot, they're very different, right? Some you go, oh, those parrots, like late at night, they're just so loud, squawking all the time. Let's If there are nightingales among us, may they not reproach the grunt of the ostrich. They sound exactly as God intended them to. You may not have a voice that everyone finds the most attractive, but you sing as God intended. Do you trust Him? Just open your mouth and sing praises to Him. Let's turn to Psalm 33, verse 1. This, it's really liberating. It's not just a command like, okay, I've got to sing to God. I need to rejoice. No, no. We rejoice because of who God is and what he's done. And he is worthy of that. Let's not withhold his just due because we're self-conscious of what other people might think or what we think of ourselves. Say, hey, God, you gave me this voice. I'm going to lift it to you. You asked for it. And I delight to do it. Psalm 33, 1. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy, for the word of the Lord is right and all His work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full Of the goodness of the Lord. So when our hearts are rejoicing to be lifting that up with singing, and I like that it says, sing to Him a new song. Sometimes we don't like the new song. We like the old song that we know already. We don't want to have to learn a new song. But God says, sing to me a new song. Sing me a song you're unfamiliar with, one that's new to you, and give Him praise through that. Why? For the word of the Lord is right. All his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. So during the dedication, there were sacrifices, sacrifices of singing and praise, as well as instruments being played and sacrifice of animals. It says the people rejoiced with great joy. But it wasn't just the dedicated and skilled singers and the musicians who were doing it. It it points out in verse 43, the women and children rejoiced Okay, the young people the kids were celebrating the women uh, it's common for women to ululate it's like to trill very loudly with joy you know almost uh, i think um i don't know if the word means it's like a very high it's a it's a high shout a shrill um trilling is what it was described as but it marked celebrations um, like the dedication of a scroll on uh, Wikipedia, I looked up Ula Late, and there was a lady in Egypt who had just voted, and she comes out and she's like, "Oh!" and she starts like just—it's pretty cool. You should definitely see that one. I was like, "Oh, this is different." You know, we don't we don't have this very much. But at the dedication of a new Torah, a circumcision, a wedding—that sort of shouting and clapping and singing. It would uh, be very common. So there's this clapping, singing going on. And perhaps the closest in our culture that we could go, okay, I, I understand that, is like at the end of an AFL game when the team has won. You know, they're like, yeah, they're clapping and they're all singing their song, you know, everybody. They're not singing the national anthem necessarily, you know, they're pretty. But then they get, they win the game and they're just shouting, you know, they're yelling and they're, you know, spraying champagne or beer on each other. You know, they're, they're having a party in there, and they are excited because they have won and won the grand final. And they're having this great time. That, we can go, they're not, in, they're not ashamed right now. They're not being self-conscious. They're not restraining themselves. They're happy because they won. And what have we in Christ? Haven't we won through him? Isn't there great victory over sin and death and despair, and hopelessness in Christ? Can't we celebrate? Can't we rejoice? Can't we clap and shout to him and just say, yes, right on, God, you're awesome. Just get fired up. And it's not about trying to be loud so we can be heard. I believe they were loud because they knew they were heard. They were heard from far away. It wasn't like at a game when they say, get loud on the scoreboard. And they have a decimal leader and everyone's trying to shout to get above 120 or whatever. They're like, let's let's just pump up the noise and just be loud for the sake of loudness. No, they were rejoicing in God and because they were rejoicing, they were loud. They were heard afar off. And it wasn't just the singers, it was the women and the children. Everybody was celebrating. So may that be for us as well. When you get excited, Your, your volume control starts to go a little bit. You notice that? Especially with kids. You know, they have their friends over and it's like, whoa, this house is loud. You know, I, I need to leave. Just that everyone's talking so loud. It's a bit overwhelming because they're excited. So when we're excited about the Lord and what he's done, we can be loud. We're not self-conscious at that moment because we're filled with the joy of the Lord. Verse 44. At the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings, the first fruits and the tithes, to gather them in into them from the fields of the cities of the portions specified by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. Inside the temple court, there was areas for storage of all the gifts that were brought in, the first fruits, the offerings and tithes. And these contributions were demonstrated, uh, excuse me, Uh, distributed to the priests and the Levites. That was part of their portion. That's how they, because they served in the temple, they weren't able to cultivate their own crops or keep their own flocks and herds. And so God made a way for their needs to be met physically through the gifts of the people. And it says that the people rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. They taught, they facilitated the worship of God. And... Whether it was singing and worship, teaching the law, offering the sacrifices, the morning and evening um, sacrifice, overseeing the temple ministry, it was more than a job. It was really a life for these people. And the role of the priests and the Levites, it's not really comparable to any role in the church today. The only person it's really a shadow of is the role that Christ and the Holy Spirit are in the church do you consider Jesus to be a freeloader? No. We rejoice in Him because we have everything from Him. They didn't see the priests or the Levites as, you know, oh well, these guys are too lazy to do anything else. No, they were called. They were chosen to do this and God equipped them. So is the high priest, right? He's the one who had access to God. He's the only one who could give atonement to the people with the blood of the sacrifice. The, the people did not have access to go into the temple and keep the lights lit and keep the bread on the showbread table and offer the incense. This was the priest's role. And Jesus is our great high priest. He is only able to do these things. We can't do them. A pastor can't do them. No one can do them. But Jesus can, and he does. And so we give rejoicing in him because of what he's done and what he's doing. They were glad to bring their offerings to the Lord, knowing that it also provided for the needs of those who ministered. Jesus, it says, came to earth not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I must say, I'm really blessed by the service of so many people here at Calvary Sydney. I think the fellowship we enjoy is because each of you contributes something to the good of the body of Christ and his glory You know, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with the board or, it's, it's all about what God is doing in your hearts and how He's moved you to give, to teach, to clean, to have coffee, um, leading worship, providing for and serving the morning tea, greeting at the door, printing things out, doing administrative duties, uh, the sound, the playing the instruments. I mean, there's so many things that people do. And, and so much of what you do is not in the confines of this building, but with one another and with people that you meet on the street and just the love that comes through, glory to God for that. And I praise Him. And it's lovely serving with you guys where praise and fanfare isn't required to just keep on serving and keep glorifying God. It, and it's not seen as a thankless chore but a privilege and so God is good that he has moved our hearts to to thank and to praise him in this way now when we talk of dedicated things um, we recently had the the coffee machine installed we had it for a while before it was usable because it required a dedicated circuit with a 15 amp breaker um, the the earthing prong is is really thick and when I saw that I was like hmm This is different. I don't know where I can buy this. I couldn't buy it at Bunnings. So we had to get an electrician. And the purpose of a dedicated circuit is to make sure that there is enough power for this appliance to run at at peak performance. You don't want other things drawing power from it. It it keeps the wires from overheating. It keeps it from being damaged. And if we will be God's ministers, if we'll be an instrument in his hands, we need to be connected to him, dedicated to him, as it were. And I thought, you know, does the coffee machine make coffee by itself? No, it requires someone to operate it. Does the coffee machine make coffee for itself? No, the coffee machine doesn't care to drink coffee. It has no interest in coffee whatsoever. Appliance and tools, they have no power of choice. Sometimes we we just use our tools for anything. You know, you can use your tape measure as a hammer. And uh, your your chisel as, I don't know, a, sure, a screwdriver. We can be very creative with the use of our tools, right? But see, we do have a choice. We have a choice if we want to be dedicated to God, if we want to be used by Him for His use, for His purpose, or if we want to be used for what we want. But remember, He has made us, He has called us in His hands, we can be very useful to bring great joy to God and to others. And so as we're submitting to the guiding hands of Christ, empowered by the Spirit, dedicated for God, we find that we're the ones blessed. And other people are blessed too. Verse 45, Both the singers and gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of the purification, according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. So God gave the singers and gatekeepers a charge. And I like how those two are put together. If you were going to be a doorman or the person like playing lead guitar, usually the person playing lead guitar is going to have a bit more status socially than the gatekeeper. But he puts them together. They both were necessary. They both were valued by God. They both had a charge from God to do something in a particular way. And they did it. They kept their charge. And it says that they kept the charge of the purification. So they maintained personal holiness. They weren't living in sin. They stayed true to their tasks. Their integrity was consistent in their ministry. It may not be a popular word these days, but we have a duty before God to obey him and to love him. We owe it to Jesus because of what he's done. To heed his word, to keep his commandments, to love one another as he has loved us. As we have freely received, we are to freely give. So whether you're a, a singer or a gatekeeper or a teacher, a parent, an employee, an employer, or a pastor, we all have a charge before God to fulfill. And there's one charge I take personally, and I think it's good for all of us, I suppose, in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Where Paul says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. So if you want to know what your charge is before God, um, the scriptures will say what your charge is. And uh, starting with and undergirded by loving one another as he has loved us. That's the commandment that Jesus gives to you. And by his strength, we can do so. So for 500 years, the singers kept the charge that was given to them through David. And for 500 years, the people rejoiced to, well, not always, re- they didn't always do it, but at this point, they rejoiced to supply the needs of those people. Now, as I was reading this week i came across zephaniah 3 verses 14 through 18 if you could turn there i think it's a really good conclusion zephaniah 3 starting in verse 14 these words were written a couple hundred years before the dedication of the wall so these words were written before the wall needed to be rebuilt they were still standing likely We understand the concept of singing to God. Do you know that God sings over his people? We know that Jesus sung a hymn before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, but God sings over us. Where we gather in Christ's name, the scriptures say he is there in our midst. It says in Zephaniah 3, verse 14, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Let's rejoice over our God, the God that rejoices over us. The one who, as this passage says again and again and again, is in your midst and truly dwells within us, right, by the power of the Spirit. So let's be a choir of thanksgiving this morning, and not just at church, but to be thanking God, to be uh, rejoicing over Him, bringing Him honor and praise. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a great God who rejoices over us, who comforts us and quiets us with your love, who rejoices over us with gladness, who rejoices over us with singing. And Lord, may our voices rise to you, not so we can make an impression on others, but so that uh, in, in recognition that you hear us and you have spoken to us and you have delivered us, And you have been faithful to your word. Lord, I thank you that you've given us so many ways in which to show our gratitude. One of them through singing and also giving and and serving and blessing one another. So I pray, Lord, you would stir us up. You would stir up our hearts. You would fill us with thanksgiving and joy. That we would be a thanksgiving choir unto you. As we fellowship, as we seek your face, and as we lift up your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.